Last month, in our series, Hashtag Blessed, we talked a lot about one of the main reasons that God blesses us is, blesses us is so that we can what? Bless others, right. That's, that's not the only reason, but one of the main reasons God blesses us. Now, that includes using our time, our talent, our treasure to help others. It includes comforting others with the same comfort that God has given us, and that is the way we store up treasures in heaven. You know, by blessing others with the blessing that God has given us. And it's impossible to do that alone. So last week, I introduced this Greek word or this word from the Greek New Testament to you called koinonia. That word means contact, intimacy, fellowship. It, returns, it, it, it refers to the, a share or participation that we have, not just with God, but with each other. It speaks of commonness and connection and community and commitment of doing life together. I said last week that it's translated communion when, when, it's, uh, when it refers to the Lord's Supper. And there's a guy by the name of M.R. Vincent uh, who wrote a book in the latter part of the 19th century about meanings of words in the New Testament. And here's his definition of koinonia. I like this. He says, koinonia is a relationship between individuals, we're individuals, which involves a common interest and a mutual active participation in that interest and in each other, koinonia. Now, a relationship between individuals which involves a common interest. What is our common interest? God, Jesus family of God, eternal life, things about God, getting uh, closer to God, closer to Jesus, more like him. That's what our common interest is, right? We have a common faith. We're in a common family. We're drawn together uh, because of that. So a relation between individuals which involves a common interest and a mutual active participation in that interest and in each other. As we speak about our common interest, uh, we're going to be reading today uh, a few verses we're going to read are going to be from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible speaks about our, our common interest. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you probably don't think of yourself as a holy brother or a sister, do you? But that's the way God looks at you. Holy brothers and sisters, not because you're so great, uh, not because you're perfect, but because you belong to God. And if you belong to God, it makes you holy. So holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. What is it that we have in common? We share in the heavenly calling. And so because of that, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Connect with Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Let me give you one more definition of koinonia. This is really a description of it. Koinonia means being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. Now, that may seem a little much, right? As committed to each other as we are to Christ, but remember we're talking about each other, and, and we bless others as God blesses us, and we serve God by serving others. Remember last week we read that verse, well, Lord, when were you uh, without clothing and we clothed you? When were you hungry and we gave you something to eat? When did all this happen? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, of my brothers and sisters here, you did it for me. So koinonia 
means being as committed to one another as we are to Christ. The New Testament is all about one another. I didn't put all these verses in your outline or anything this morning, but beginning in John chapter 13, Jesus says, wash one another's feet. That literally means serve one another. And he also says in John 13, love one another. That's throughout the New Testament. You find that over and over again, love one another. In Romans chapter 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In Romans 15, receive, accept, or welcome one another. Admonish, counsel, instruct one another. In Romans 16, uh, we don't take this literally, greet one another with a holy kiss or be affectionate in your greeting with each other. We'll do it with a good firm handshake. Uh, the, the holy kiss, by the way, was not men and women. It was always women and women or men and men. So I don't want to kiss a man. We'll just shake hands with each other, a hug every once in a while. Bear or carry one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6. Ephesians, be patient, bearing with one another. Be patient, putting up with each other. You know, that's what we're supposed to, in the one another, we have to put up with each other every once in a while. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. In 1 Thessalonians, comfort one another and encourage one another and build up one another. And we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 10 in just a little bit. Last Sunday, I made this statement about the seas. I said their commitment to Christ over the years was so intertwined with their commitment to his church as to be inseparable. Uh, and we're talking about the, the local body of Christ. While koinonia does have an interchurch aspect because churches help take care of other churches. It's mostly about a local body of believers, a local assembly of believers, a church. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We've probably all had an experience where we went through a difficult time and somebody came alongside us and comforted us and literally or, or spiritually put their arms around us. Maybe it was the birth of a child, you know, like the birth of the first child. You don't know for sure what's going on there or a serious illness. Maybe somebody sat up with you uh, all night because you had this big thing happening the next day and you couldn't get a, a wink of sleep and you needed somebody to be there with you. Maybe you were at the hospital or at home and you watched a loved one pass from this life into the next life. Maybe after that, someone came to your home to comfort you and, kept say, and you kept saying, you can go on home. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. You can go on home. And they said, no, I'm staying with you. As long as you're going through this, I'm going through this with you. Maybe it was a season of unemployment and you had a friend who kept calling you. Hey man, you got that job yet? How's it going with you? Need some help? Uh, maybe it was that kind of a situation. Maybe you went through a divorce and you had a couple of friends who were there with you. They couldn't solve your problem, but they could be there with you anyway. You understand the incredible sense of knowing that someone is walking the path with you in life. Somebody cares about you. You are not in this alone. To me, the worst feeling in all the world is to feel like you're all by yourself. That's the worst. You know, you can face a whole bunch of stuff if you just know somebody else is with you in the situation. Gene and I, for the first 17 years of our marriage, were separated from our families by distance. You know, a distance such as you couldn't just drive over there for the afternoon and visit or something of that nature. Now, of course, we're just 100 miles away from her family, so it's still a little bit farther, but you can hop in the car and drive up there real quick 
if you want to. But dur during those first 17 years, our children, our two sons were born. And we experienced a lot of ups and downs. And because of that, there were people, uh, friends and people in our church that just came and became a part of our family. They became surrogate grandparents to our children and things of that nature. They were there when we needed them and they're lifelong friends and we will never forget the relationship that was built up because of that. In fact, tomorrow morning early on a holiday, we're planning to get in our car and drive over 500 miles because one of those people died and went to the Lord, be with Jesus last week. We're gonna go down there and do her funeral and be with that family because we would want to be there regardless and they want us to be there no matter who else might happen to be around. Many of us could share stories like that. We'll forever be grateful for that man or that woman or that couple or that family who rallied around us during time of crisis. And that sense of community that was so prevalent in the early churches is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And we, we lose that sometimes because our society is so disjointed. We're so separated from uh, each other. And, and, and you know, uh, texting and Facebook and Instagram and all those other things that I've never even heard of before, uh, they're not enough to connect us with each other. So for the next few minutes, I just want to use the early church, the model of early churches and apply that to how we should be today. The first thought is just this. The early churches were not organizations as much as they were communities. Now, I didn't say they didn't have any organization, but most of their organization was less than the least of our organizations today. We can organize ourselves out of existence sometimes, you know, because it's so much about the organization and so little about the community. The early churches were groups of people who had a common faith, and they developed a community around that common faith. One of the things that helped them with that is the fact that everybody else around them was against them. Their whole society was against them. They didn't have any rights as Christians to get together someplace and or worship openly as we have. Uh, they, they, they were just driven together and, and they formed that community. They took care of each other. They met in homes. In scripture, there's at least four people, two of them were a couple, who had churches that met in their houses. That was the only place for churches to meet. Priscilla and Aquila had a, a church in their house. A guy by the name Nymphus had a church in his house. Philemon had a church in his house. They met together in homes. They ate meals together. They sold some of their stuff so that everybody's needs could be met. All the time, their attitude is, we're waiting for Jesus to come back again. That's what my life is all about. The Lord is returning, and I want to live my life for him. You can read about uh, churches like that in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Some of us have had similar experiences, but for the most part, as modern Christians, church is all about church attendance. It's about what we're doing right here, right now. We walk through the doors. We sit in rows, look up this way. Uh, we sing together. One guy does most of the talking. That would be me. I'm not against that, of course. It's what I do all the time. We hope to get a, good, a gold star from God, you know, because we made it and we, did all, we went through all the things we were supposed to go through. Now, again, I'll say I'm all in favor of church attendance. I believe that it is essential to the Christian life. I believe it is essential that we get together in this corporate way 
on Sunday mornings, but I also believe that it is not enough to be what God wants us to be. Essential, not enough. It's a, it's a part of it. Here's a few statements that I'd just like for you to, to think about. First one is this. In our culture, church is all about attendance. We used to come three times in a row. You get to be a member of the Sunday school class when I was growing up, right? It's all about attendance. In the first century churches, it was about attachment. It was about, uh, you know, we just live life together. That's, this, is our, this is our family. Second one, in our culture, church is all about sitting in rows and looking this way. In the early churches, it was often, not, sometimes they, you know, looked that way. Uh, I think about the time when the Apostle Paul preached. Remember, he preached so late in the night that the young guy named Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the third-story window and died. Paul could preach long like that because he healed the guy, brought him back to life. I have to keep mine a little bit shorter, and you don't have as far to fall. But anyway, in the early churches, it was often about sitting in a circle and looking at each other because this was your family. These were the people that you loved, and these were the people you were doing life with. One more thing, in our culture, church is all about one person who stands up here and talks. That's me. In the first century, it was as much about groups of Christians meeting together, opening God's word together, and saying to each other, as you go, we go. But we're not letting go of you. We're with you regardless of what happens. And just from personal experience, just to have somebody, and you know they really mean it, say, I am with you. You are not in this alone. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens. I am here. And for us to experience that as a church, we have to move beyond this, I showed up and attended on Sunday morning mentality. Church is ultimately about people sitting in a group looking at each other, interacting with each other uh, around these incredible truths. There is a God who says, I love you. I love that line, unrelenting love, you know, that we sang this morning. That's the way God loves us. It is unrelenting love. He doesn't throw us out. It's around a Savior who says, I died for you. I gave my life. For you. And that's when you get to the point, when you get in a group like that, that's when you get to the point where when you go through a, a crisis, people get more involved in your life rather than hanging their heads and trying to turn their back on you and before this is really uncomfortable, let's try to you know, be ye warmed and be ye filled and try to go someplace else. When you get involved like that, people know what's going on in your life. They pray for you. They think about you every day and they pray for you. And, and, and if you need something, they're going to try their best to take care of that. The early churches, they were not organizations as they might, were communities of people who had a common faith. And they just, they were family. And that's what we're supposed to be. And we're, so we're going to look at an example of that. Second major thing is this in Hebrews chapter 10, the book of Hebrews in the Bible, chapter 10, explains the smaller picture of what church is all about. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, kind of an interesting book, really hard to understand, by the way. If you read through it, it's kind of one of those difficult books, but uh, who was it written to? We don't know who wrote it, by the way. It's different ideas. We don't know who wrote it. That's, it's unidentified. But it was written to Hebrews. <laughs> That's why we call it the book of Hebrews. 
written to Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians. Now, all Hebrews are not Jewish Christians, but, but it was written to Jewish Christians, Christians of what's called the diaspora or the scattering uh, of, the, of Jewish Christians by persecution. And they were different places. They were wondering how they could take this rich Jewish tradition of theirs, which was all about God and their relationship with God, how they were going to blend that with worshiping Jesus. Because here's what had happened to them. When they said Jesus is Messiah, that we've been looking as Jews, we've been looking for Messiah all of our lives, and Jesus is Messiah, and we will place our faith and trust in him. When they did that, their families threw them out. You don't have a mother and father anymore. You don't have a brother or a sister anymore. You're out. The synagogue, the group the, uh, uh, of families that they were a part of, threw them out, said, you are ejected from the synagogue. You can't be part of that anymore. And it was hard. It was difficult. And a lot of them were saying, I don't know if it's worth it or not. Maybe we should go back and just do what we were doing before and forget all about Jesus. And the whole book of Hebrews, the theme is this. You no longer have to offer sacrifices for sins because Jesus came. And he made the once for all sacrifice for sin. No more animal sacrifice needed for any reason. Don't be tempted to drift back, to veer back into your old way because God is faithful who has made his promises to you. That leads us to a couple of verses I want to read you today. Hebrews chapter 10, familiar to many of you. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly, I kind of like that, unswervingly, they were tempted to veer back, to swerve back. You know, you ever, it kind of reminds me, you're dri driving down the road and you think, oh, I forgot something, make my U-turn, you know. Uh, sometimes creates a lot of issues. I gotta get, go back and get what I forgot. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Our hope is in Jesus. The fact that he, what he said is true. And the fact that he's coming back for us one day. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised God, who promised is faithful. And the faithfulness to their commitment to Christ had a very practical application. And here it is in verse 24. Here's what we're supposed to do. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's, uh, let's be faithful, and, and our faithfulness is not about uh, meditation, although there's, that's good. Our faithfulness is about considering each other and how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word, consider, let's consider one another. It means to consider attentively or to fix your, your, your thoughts on Remember we read that verse back in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Same word. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on each other. Remember I said about, uh, about koinonia, it's about being as committed to each other as we are to Christ. You know, Hebrews says fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on each other as well. Uh, uh, it means let's, let's focus on each other. Let's be aware of each other and what's going on in our lives because you may be doing great right now, but it isn't always gonna be that way. 
There's going to be times when you need somebody in your life. We're to fix our thoughts on how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The idea is that we, we get with people and we don't let go. Not literally, you know. Sometimes you got to go home. It's a good idea. But you know what I'm talking about. You just don't forget about people. The King James Version, uh, spur one another on, uses the word provoke. That's kind of a powerful word, you know. Provoke each other to love and to good, de- good works or good deeds. And some, the phrase sometimes has a negative connotation, but, but this phrase, one another, spur one another on, uh, indicates that it's not just one provoker talking to a bunch of provokees, you know, one guy getting up here trying to provoke everybody to, to do something, but it means group, doing it together. It means that your spiritual life is my business, and what affects my life affects you. It means that we all have to be in, in, involved in each other's lives and provoking each other and spurring one another on to love and good work. That may make you uncomfortable. After all, in a public church service, you can kind of slip in, slip back out again. That's the way I like it. And by the way, we at Milestone have always made a commitment to allowing people to remain anonymous, to slip in and slip out and check us out for as long as you want. But the public services of the church are nothing more than an introduction to what church is. The real thing is getting to the point of considering how. How can I do what God says here to spur others on to love and to good deeds? And and I need some help in that area myself because if I'm just by myself, I'm going to drift into vegetating in front of the television and just thinking about myself and nobody else. The challenge for each of us is where in my schedule have I set aside time and whatever else is necessary to encourage others, to spur others on to love and to good works. Life change happens when you get involved in a small group of people where you're doing just that. The next verse. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not giving up meeting together. You've got to meet together to do that. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some of these guys evidently had already said, man, this is too hard. I'm going back to my family. I'm going back to the synagogue. I'm going back. I'm veering off from here. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another to what? to love and to good works. And all the more as you see the day, it's all coming to an end one of these days. Jesus is coming back one of these days. Judgment is coming one of these days, all thinking about the day and the future. So some might say, you know, well, I can worship God in my own way by myself. And you can, and you should. Not only can you, you should worship God by yourself in your own way. Uh, That doesn't replace corporate worship, getting together, that is clearly taught in Scripture. Uh, Can you encourage others to pursue love and good works by yourself in your own way? This verse says not to quit meeting together for the purpose of mutual encouragement for each other and spurring each other on to love and good works. But, But don't we do that right here, right now? Well, I hope so. (laughs) We intend to do Uh, exactly that. Uh, But by far the best way is for everybody to be doing it in a small group where we're doing it for each other. 
the, the writer of Hebrews is just saying this, we need each other. I need you, you need me, we need each other. We need to help each other. At some point, each of us is tempted to drift from our commitment to Jesus, and we have to encourage each other to come back. You stay by yourself, you're not going to stay close to Jesus. Think about this thought for just a minute. The pleasures and the pressures of life tend to erode our interest in our faith. The pleasures of life, it's fun. Well, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. The pleasures of life and the pressures. You just got to, it's uh, what keeps us away from God is just life. It's just living. It's just trying to make a living and pay my bills and keep the electricity on and deal with the neighbors and the dog and all that kind of stuff. I got a lot of things going on. So it is pleasure and pressure in life that drives us away. And at some point in our weekly schedules, there needs to be a place where we sit in a circle with other believers, encouraging each other to love and the good work to realize there's something outside of my little world and my job and my house and my car and, and all the stuff that happened to me this week. Small groups are where life change really takes place. They're a bit more threatening than corporate worship. I have a little trouble myself, you know, because everybody thinks, well, not, not, I, nobody really thinks this, but people would like to think that I'm perfect. Now, I don't ever have any mistakes, and I don't ever have any doubts, and I don't ever want to quit and stuff like that. And of course, this is not true. And so I have a little trouble opening up about that in a group. We all have a little trouble with those kinds of things. I, I guess I've had all the advantages, you know, of the Christian life. I've been a Christian. I, I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was six years old. Can you do that? I did. Baptized a couple of years later. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a, a godly woman. God gave me this incredibly gifted wife who keeps me straight seven days a week. Uh, so, I mean, I should, I should have it easy, right? I mean, there's no problems whatsoever, but there have been times where I might have quit. I might have quit had it not been for these faithful friends circled around me who encouraged me to love in good works. Maybe you've got a lot of friends. Nobody has enough friends. And we need to ask, do my friends, the, the people I circle with, do they bring stability to my life? Do they, do they spur me? Are we spurring each other on to love and to good works? If so, if, if that's true, then bring it on into the group and do it a little bit more. If not, then come on into the group and start doing what needs to be done, getting involved with others and spurring them on to love and good works. House groups are designed to be more than just Bible studies, even though that happens, more than prayer groups, even though we pray, more than social groups, even though we socialize. The purpose of house group is this. The purpose of a house group is to provide a predictable environment, a safe environment, a trustworthy environment where you can say What's not, you can't just say anything you want to say, by the way. That's not house group. You need to keep your mouth shut sometimes. But if you've got something that's tearing you up, you need to be free to say that. If you have a doubt, you doubt the existence of God, or, you, you know, or, or you're having marital problems or whatever, you need, you need to be able to say that and have people rally around you without beating on you 
and love you and pray for you and help you in whatever way. So that's a house group is to provide a predictable, predictable environment where participants experience community, what we're talking about, and spiritual growth. I mean that God wants us to get together in a circle of believers who will encourage each other to love and the good works. And so we'll be talking about this a little bit. Please don't stay home just because I might say the same thing again. We'll bury it. But will you take a chance? Will you risk doing something that's a little bit uncomfortable? And by the way, don't make the one, don't be the one in the group that makes things more uncomfortable. But will you take a chance, take a risk to do something that's a little bit uncomfortable and get involved at the next level of what God wants you to do, how he wants you to do life through community? Would you consider next week when things open up, getting involved in a group? This is going to be two or three weeks away before we actually start, but you don't have to get married to a group. Just make a commitment. And then don't just come once and quit, but, but make a commitment. Yeah. I know I'm busy, all kinds of things are happening, but make a commitment that I'm going to give this thing a chance and I'm going to stick with it. We're trying to do things a little bit differently, make things better. Let's pray. Father, I know that you're here with us. I thank you for your unrelenting love. And I thank you that we can say, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I belong to God. I know you're here with us, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.